Well, hello, everybody. How's everybody doing? Wonderful, good. It's good to be with y'all. Good to see you. Nice sunny morning. Um, if you want, we'll uh, we'll pray and we'll get started. Father, we love you. We're here for you today. Uh, we just thank you for this beautiful morning for us to gather. Um, I thank you for how you've brought us together from all kinds of different places to, uh, to come in unity and praise you, lift you up, and to learn. Um, so I just pray for growth for all of us this morning. Um, um, may these uh, songs we sing to you glorify you um, and be a, a personal offering. And as we uh, hear testimony, hear things that are going on in the community around us, um, just show us how we can help your kingdom, Father. So we pray for today to be a great morning for you. Amen. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. To the glory of your love There is no shadow in your presence No mortal man would dare To stand before your throne Before the Holy One of Heaven it's only by your blood, and it's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. I bring an offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. We bring, we bring an offering of worship to our King. No one on earth deserves the praises that we sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, we bring an offering to you.
joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of eternal gladness, fill us with the light of day.
be seated. Kids are dismissed. How's everybody doing? Good. I think uh, Brian up here is doing especially good. He just came back from the Areopagus. Anybody know where the Areopagus is? You ever been there? It is the house of the Greek gods. And now you've been to the house of our God. Which of the two is better, Brian? Be honest. Asking you a question. Which You've been to the Areopagus, which is the house of the, huh? Acropolis. My bad. Goes to show that I don't know what I'm talking about. And you've been to this house of the house of the gods in Greece and Athens, and you've been to the house of God. Which one is better? All right. Good answer. Okay. Now, if his wife was here, she might say, well, you know what? It was pretty nice there. And I get that. Sunny, 70s, how can, Mediterranean, how can you beat that? But anyway, he's full of, uh, full of vinegar today, and uh, so that's, that's good to be rested. Um, if you were on an airplane, would you rather have an aisle seat or the window seat? Window seat, okay. Well, elders actually been talking about this matter, not so much about travel, but about us as a church and where we are postured. Are we looking in or are we looking out? And I'd like to think we are in a moment where we are looking out. And we want to take uh, a couple of weeks and think about what is happening out there. And uh, as we've been doing that, putting our, our gaze on the community, uh, we're, we're, we're taking it a little bit farther out to the, um, the, the Caribbean islands, which sounds wonderful, with the exception of one island that uh, is really, really struggling. And uh, we want to see Jesus come alive in that place. And so we're going to have a, uh, a guest speaker today. He's part of the Midwest Mafia, as it turns out. So we're kind of from the same stomping grounds. Uh, uh, a new good friend, uh, Sam Williams, which is French for Williams. Maybe. But anyway, uh, welcome everybody. So glad you're here. And um, I'm pretty excited about today. We do have a lot of things happening. So I want to start off with um, uh, just a few announcements. And as we do that, Rachel, why don't you come up? And uh, you said three minutes, so clock just turned to 13. Yeah, okay, I'll watch it. Okay, we're a little bit confused on the pies and stuff, right? Everybody's asking questions. This next Sunday is pie making. Miss Amy, it's a tradition with her with the youth group. So basically it's a time for families to come together and people to come in. And it's a socialization with our community to make a pie. We don't bake it. We're just making a pie to take home. So we're looking for everybody to come in next Sunday and come and make a pie. Bring your rolling pin. That's the only thing you have to bring. And come in with family, grandkids, whoever you want to invite, your neighbors, whatever. Let's come in, but we need to sign up. So meet me at the studio later and let's sign up so Miss Amy knows how many. But it does not go for Thanksgiving dinner. It's a totally separate thing. The second thing I need to announce is we're looking for people to put together the float for the Christmas parade. We will have all the things out in the garage ready to go on Thanksgiving dinner day so a group of us can go out to the garage, decorate everything, and get it ready to go for the parade. It'll sit out there until we're ready to go. So I am looking for those two things. Okay? Thank you. I stayed under my minutes. I did it. I did it. Are, are you feeling okay? <laughs> Amazing. That's a celebration right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, there you go. Showing off now. Okay. Well, any, anyhow, um, got a couple other announcements. We have the Joy Club is going to be meeting this week uh, on uh, Wednesday. Uh, so if you're part of the Joy Club or you want to be part of the Joy Club, the entry fee has been waived indefinitely. So no membership fee. All you have to do is be predisposed to joy. And uh, hopefully as you gather on Wednesday for lunch, um, we can just celebrate who we are in Christ together, have guest speaker, and just enjoy the fellowship. Same on Saturday, we will have um, gathering for our men's breakfast at 8 o'clock. Uh, so all you guys, if you feel left out, that's, that's your spot. The ladies had your retreat. This is our man cave moment. So we'll leave it at that, okay? Um, any other announcements that we have that I'm missing right now? Okay, uh, I'll have Kathy come forward because I know the mission wants to present a check uh, to our friend uh, Sam, so we'll introduce uh, him as well. So Sam, come on up if you don't mind, and um, we, will, um, we, will, we will present that to you. This is all official and stuff. Yeah, here we go. As you know, I'm really a proponent of the Haitian mission, and... Uh, Sam, we just wanted to give you this check. Oh, thank you. And uh, just continue the good work. I know what kind of work they're doing down there. I have great friends. So. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, it's 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 amazing. Uh, Kathy and I, we uh, realized this morning we're doing this. Have we met before? Do you look familiar? You look familiar. We start to compare timelines. We realize, yeah, we we uh, we certainly have. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't know exactly how far back the connection with uh, First Church here in Salem is, but I know it's many years, and uh, it's just been, we've been so thankful for all that you've done and the partnership that we've had with you, and uh, the message I'm going to bring, I, I hope, gives you a, a sense and an insight and an update into all the things that your prayers and contributions are doing to further the gospel there, so thank you very much. Thank you. Well, let's, um, let's just take this moment and bring it before the Lord. Yes, absolutely. We need to celebrate that for sure. So um, as you have just met Sam from Northwest Haiti Christian Mission, hopefully uh, you can wrap your mind around the representative of what he's getting ready to share. And uh, so I'd like to just take this moment and sanctify it in the Lord. Would you bow with me? And let's take everything before him. Our Lord Jesus, we are grateful that when you sent out the 12, it was with the intent that it would just multiply and expand into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the rest of the earth. And we're living in the wake of all of that commissioning where we think about the good news being broadcast in all the places that um, darkness is still keeping people captive. And we are especially mindful of what's happening in Haiti right now as things are more chaotic than ever and we ask that uh, you come alongside your servant here as we ourselves do the same and you enable him and, he, and equip him for the road ahead and we ask that as other missionaries and people that are sent to Haiti can bring good news into that space that uh, your kingdom would prevail and we pray that as people live in captivity there literally on that island uh, that they could breathe the fresh air of the good news as, um, as we uh, play a role in, in sending and supporting those who 
have the feet that bring that news. And we pray for your blessing upon the day as we gather. Lord, there are many here who are carrying burdens from life and all of the challenges that we face and the different seasons that we are in. And we pray that you would minister to us and speak to our hearts uh, in, in the only way that you mysteriously can. And so as I lift up our people and these missionary um, aspirations that we have, we pray that you give us a heart and a mind that beats with the heart and the mind of your son and the 12 that were sent. Uh, bless uh, the message today and the messenger and attune our hearts and our minds to the realities of the kingdom as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, Sam, you are on. Thank you. Okay. Same general area. Uh, he's from just across, from my perspective, he's from just across the line in central Illinois. And I grew up, I kid you not, I could have walked Illinois in about 30 minutes. That's how close we lived. And unlike what you're getting into here, you guys are on the edge of some hills and mountains. And it's a beautiful drive coming from the Indianapolis area, which is where our mission headquarters is. But if you're from where we're from, it is flat. Uh, now, I grew up in the town that has the hill, and I say the hill because that's about all there is, just a hill uh, in that whole area. But where Leonard is from, when the wind starts, it doesn't stop. In fact, I think you can probably smell Nebraska because it's just blown across all the way to, to Illinois. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he says it just brought him on up here to Salem. Yeah, it finally starts to slow down. Uh, but it's just... it. The longer I'm in ministry, and I, I've been in it for a while, as has Leonard, I just take great joy in meeting and interacting with other folks that are in ministry. Uh, sometimes you know where they're from, sometimes you don't, and I am always thrilled to be able to come to a church that I haven't been to before and share about the mission and just get to meet some folks. Um, as I was driving up here, I'll admit to you, yesterday... I was not 100% sure I hadn't been here before, because we have a few churches that are supporters in this part of Ohio. Uh, I think Randolph, Ohio is not terribly far from here, because a lot of the trip I felt like, yeah, I'm kind of tracking for, uh, for Randolph, but I didn't think I'd been here, but it really wasn't until I drove up and saw yeah, really this beautiful church in this beautiful area that I knew for sure, no, this is, this is new and this is fun. Uh, looks like you guys kind of in the 70s, I saw a sign out there sometime in the 70s, looks like you got started, and you, you had that, I think I saw that obligatory block that says, uh, founded AD 33, uh, which, you know, th that's great, the church I grew up in had the same thing. Northwest Haiti Christian Mission started in 1979, now I was very young at that time, but I was in a church that was one of the original supporters in west central indiana again not too terribly far from where leonard grew up and i i had the blessing of hearing about the mission from as far back as i can remember 
And my mom took her first trip to Haiti, I think in 1983, 1984. So the mission hadn't been around very long. And at that point, it consisted basically of the director going in several times a year with people and engaging in ministry with orphans. And there was a couple of churches that they started right at the very beginning. I caught up in the late 80s. My first trip into Haiti was as a seventh grader uh, in 88 or 89. I remember the exact year. And then I, I just I kept going all through college um, and did a uh, internship after college. I was there 2000, you know, 99, 2000, got to celebrate the new year there in Haiti, the turn of the millennium. Uh, and then my wife and I, you know, we got married. I got married shortly after that. My wife and I went back as missionaries, which Kathy and I think that's got to be when we first met, uh, 03, 04. Um, is, is when we would have interacted for the first time. Now I just, I've had many different roles within the mission and became part of a leadership team about, oh, eight years ago and then took over as a, the executive director four years ago. Uh, so it just kind of gives you a little sense of my journey, and I encourage you. We've got all kinds of stuff out there. If you look uh, as you leave in the foyer area, walk out, turn to your right. We've got a table. You'll see a picture with a, a a kid that's uh, just a, got a big smile, and then right beside him, a bunch of brochures that I'd love for you to, to take a look at to find out more about the mission and uh, and get some updates too. If uh, you know, if you're interested in seeing some of the different things that we do, what I want to share with you this morning is a message that is coming from James chapter one. And as I preach this, we're going to take a bit of a tour through some different ministries that Northwest Haiti Christian Mission has. And I just want to give you a glimpse of some of the things that happen every day on our campuses and the people that we get to interact with. Folks, Haiti is not an easy place to minister to right now. I don't know if you've paid attention to any of the international news. Honestly, I don't blame you if you feel like you, you see too much and hear too much, and you see another thing about Haiti, and you think, my goodness, can't these folks get it together? I get it. I feel that. Last year, you know, the summer of 2021, they had their president assassinated. They also had a couple of different things happen in the country that uh, would have been big deals, except for the fact that the presidential assassination overshadowed that. There's always something happening. And as much as we may get news fatigue from keeping up with it, imagine living there as a Haitian individual. And as Leonard said, you know, that island, for a lot of folks, does feel like a prison, a place that if they could, they would escape. And we have lost some great employees in the last five years as things in Haiti have gotten even more difficult. Some folks that have been with us for many years and they have an opportunity to leave. I uh, had a security guard here about two months ago, been with us forever. He's got family in the Bahamas, and he said, I just, I hate to leave here. I love you guys. I love this town, but I just, I have an opportunity, and I'm going to go. And so he lives in the Bahamas now. And we have seen this time and time again, Haitian folks that love their country, love their town, but they just can't take it anymore, and they leave. But for most folks, they don't have opportunities and although if I were to show up with a boat in St. Louis de Nord, where our main mission campus is, if I showed up at the cruise ship that held 5,000, I don't even, I've never been on a crowd, I mean, they hold thousands of people and say, whoever wants on, get on. It would take moments, and it would be a riot. 
the people that would get on that cruise ship and go wherever I took them. But that doesn't mean they don't love their country. They do. It's just they feel a desperation that you and I, we just can't relate to unless you see it firsthand. And, and even I barely understand it, being able to see it often. Haiti is more difficult now than it's been in the mission's history. I know this because our original executive director, Larry Owen, he's a good friend, and uh, he and his wife, Diana, they started, they tried to retire, but it didn't last long. They got a little mission that they made that's just very small, and uh, they ministered to some folks there in the big town of port au uh, Larry has Parkinson's, and he's just not in great health. But he'll tell you that Haiti is as difficult to be in right now as it has ever been in the 43 years that it's been since he started going there. So it's, it's tough. It's tough. Right now, uh, we're finishing up and getting ready to send out end-of-year fundraising letters. We do this every year. Hopefully, you get one. If you don't, uh, we'd love you know get grab one of those brochures, sign up for our e-newsletter. Our fundraiser this year is just simply for fuel, fuels of all types diesel, gasoline, charcoal, cooking oil, all the things that you need to fuel the ministries that we have, that people depend on every single day. This is going to blow your mind. But if I were to tell one of our missionaries, I want you to go out and get just one gallon of gas someplace, I don't care where you find it, and get it for the cheapest amount that you can. What they're going to do is they're going to go find gas, not at a gas station, because they ran out months ago. They're going to find it in these little yellow jugs that used to have cooking oil in them. It's a guy that probably put about a pint of water in that gas, and he's going to sell it to this missionary for $40. $40. U.S. dollars. That's how much it would be. The other day, I heard one of our missionaries say, hey, I got it for 36 and she was excited. $36, can you imagine? I, I mean, I, I, it got under 4 here in the U.S., and I thought, oh, man, we're turning in the right direction, right? Now, just imagine how that makes everything ridiculously expensive. You can't afford anything, and yet God still allows us to keep ministering to these people. And as I tell you stories of real folks, individuals that we get to see and love and interact with every day, God still makes it so that we're able to help them and uh, to make their lives a little less desperate and a little more bright. Lord, again, as, as we come to you, we've already uh, asked your blessing upon this time and upon this morning of worship. And I, again, I just want to ask that you open up James chapter 1 for us in a way that, that only you can. Allow your spirit to dwell us, to help us understand these little tidbits of truth that you want to impart to us, and you just uh, are, are ready to give us wisdom and insights if we just will open your word and look to see what you have there. We thank you so much for this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, uh, I, I haven't been here before, and, and you know, Kathy and I, we kind of barely recognize each other, but I'll admit to you, I am not really good with names. I do better with faces. Uh, facial recognition's easier for me, but if I'm in a convention or a new church, uh, I, it's, it's like the harder I try to hold on to the name. I was telling my wife the other day, I said, it's, sometimes it's like I physically can feel the name going in this ear and just trying to fly out the other one. And I try to grab it and hold on. But faces I do a little bit better with. 
this uh, next slide here uh, will show you, it's the, the face of a, a beautiful young man, and uh, you know the title of the message today, Unforgettable Faces, kind of goes along with what I feel like I, I do a pretty good job of, except sometimes I don't. My family, on my wife's side, love to tell the story of the day that I messed up a face. So it's Christmas, <clears throat> and my wife and I have only been married for a couple years at this time. You know, we don't have a, a child yet, newly married. And my wife has younger cousins, just beautiful girls, and they're beautiful ladies uh, today in, in, in every way you can think of. But these girls were in high school at this time, and it was a revolving door of boyfriends coming to all the holidays. And so we would go to my wife's grandmother, and when I say girls, I mean triplets, triplets, with an older sister. So four girl cousins in just the one family. Boyfriends different every holiday. Well, there's this one kid that showed up to Thanksgiving, and I liked him. We're playing cards. He knew how to play euchre. We were partners. And I just thought, oh, I hope this kid makes it to Christmas. And so <laughs> we walk into my wife's grandmother's at Christmas time, and there he is. He's sitting in that chair, and I walk over at him, and I said, man, I don't remember your name, but I'm glad you made it to a second holiday. The whole room just went quiet. And finally, my wife's, uh, my wife's voice come to me, and she said, that's not the same boy. Really? Well, I, I salvaged it. I said, well, I hope you make it to Easter. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> he did. They actually got married, and he knows how to play cards, too, so it's okay. Sometimes our memories fail us. We forget who people are, but sometimes we forget who we are, too. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27 uh, I've got it up here, if, if, you can, if you can read it, I've got my letters a little bit small, but if you want to turn there yourself, it's James 1, 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And then verse 25 says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This passage, and obviously there are others that say the same thing, emphasizes that the faith, the religion that's important for God and what he wants to see is that we're taking care of people. And specifically, he mentions, mentions widows and orphans because those are two of the most vulnerable segments of society, right? The original director of our mission back in the late 70s, Larry, against his name, in a lot of ways he was a mentor to me, uh, he talked about being a Vietnam vet, and 
he just they would come across these villages and all these kids. They're hungry. Their dads are gone. Uh, their lives are in shambles, and he's never felt like he could do what he wanted to do to help them. He goes to Haiti. He feels like God gave him an opportunity. There's a bunch of kids here. It's not a war zone, at least not then. I think I can help. And that's how everything just got rolling. And we had six boys in the original orphanage group, and a lot of those boys later on became leaders in our mission. And so you're kind of growing your own crop of leadership. So just a great thing that God started and it was all based on looking out for people that they just they can't look out for themselves. You don't get any more fragile than a pregnant mother and an impending baby coming into this world. I want to show you another picture here. This is uh, Dulcie Kathy, the, the young lady here. Uh, she's not very old. She's just in her early 20s. And the little baby's name is Francisca. So our birthing center in our main campus town of St. Louis de Nord has been there for over 20 years, 23 years, I think, 1999 or 2000, 23 years. And in that time, I don't know if we've crossed over the 20,000 baby mark yet, but I know we're close. I know we're close. Imagine 20,000 babies in less than a quarter century. That's how many young lives that we've been able to see impacted by a, a, just a simple ministry that is not simple to do daily. Uh, you know, you, if I do the math for you, uh, I'm going to come up with one or two babies every day that's born in our birthing center. We're building a new facility, too. Almost done. It's taken forever to get it done during this period of time where work is slowed by uh, problems in Haiti with getting supplies, and sometimes you got to shut down because the country's not safe. We're coming up on the end. We're just basically waiting on one last shipment to come in with some equipment, and then when finally we can move that program over to that new building. 20,000 babies over 23 years. So as you might imagine... You do the math in your head, you may be wondering, oh, wait a minute, are some of the original babies old enough to be moms yet? And the answer is yes. Now, that's not Dulcie Kathy's situation. She wasn't born in our birthing center. She did grow up near our mission campus. But some of the first babies born in our birthing center have had babies in our birthing center. That's incredible. And it all happens because of folks like uh, you guys here in, in Salem, Ohio, contributing to things like the birthing center. Now, their story, Dulcie Kathy, as I said, she grew up just down the road from the Mission campus. So when she found out she was pregnant, she didn't even have to think about where she was going to have her baby. She knew she was going to come to our mission compound. We've got midwives, nurses, OBGYN uh, that's on campus several times a week. And, you know, she knew she'd be taken care of. So little Francesca is born into this world with very little problem, little fanfare, pretty boring day, quite honestly. But what's amazing about that is before that birthing center ministry was in place 23 years ago, there were babies being born in all kinds of unsafe situations. And unfortunately, we don't have enough facilities to have all the babies in our area. But so many of these kids are being born on the dirt floors of huts, sometimes just <clears throat> out on the street because they don't have anywhere to go. I just I, I think about this one young lady 
<clears throat> that actually one of our missionaries took in as one of their own. Her name's Rosie, uh, and she's got to be, she's not 18 yet, but she's got to be close. We called Rosie the tetanus baby when she first came to us because she had lockjaw. The reason she had that is because she was born on the street. Her mom couldn't make it to the birthing center in time to have her baby. And so poor little Rosie is born in a very unclean situation and as a result, you know, had issues for a very long time. Uh, and still even to this day, she's got some things going on that I mean, we don't know if it has anything to do with that or not. But that's just one example. The birthing center was there at that time. It's just her mother couldn't get there. Ladies walk for hours and even days, pregnant ladies, to have their babies in this ministry. So that's just one example of something that your prayers, your contributions are doing to help take care of the most vulnerable segments of Haitian society. I just want to read verse 27 again in uh, James 1. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So I want to show you another picture here. <clears throat> this fella, this good-looking guy, his name is T. Frere. T. Frere is one of the residents in our Grand Moon program. I want to teach you a word in Haitian Creole today. Say Grand Moon. Very good. It's old person. Or it can also mean fat person. If you say it twice, it means an old fat guy, right? You know, hey, the Creole is a very simple language. They'll, they'll use one word for a lot of things. So Grand Moon, it just means an elderly person. They have great respect for older folks in their society, the people that, you know, took care of them, maybe grandparents that took care of their parents. But I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes things in Haiti get tough, like they are right now. And imagine for a moment, you have a family of six kids. You didn't want six kids, but you didn't have any way to stop having six kids. So you got your six. It's you, your wife, your six little kids, and your wife's mother, who has nowhere to go. Living in a little house that's, I mean, I haven't seen your office, Leonard, but I'm sure it's not the size of a large house. So just imagine six kids, mom and a dad, grandma, in a house the size of Leonard's office or smaller. You have only have enough food to feed eight people, and that's stretching it. You don't have resources for a ninth person. And who, so, so what, who are you going to kick out of your house? Well, sometimes it's the least healthy least contributing person in your house. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is awful to think about. This is human economics, so to speak, that, that we don't even want to consider. But sometimes you got to make those tough decisions. So we see it all the time in Haiti. And I'll tell you what, a guy like T. Frere, he probably would volunteer to leave the house to say, take care of your kids. I've had a long life. I'll be fine. You know, if I die tomorrow from starvation, I've had a lot more life than they have. These decisions are being made in homes all over Haiti all the time. So we decided uh, years ago, about the same time as a birthing center, about 20 years ago, uh, we had this one missionary had a vision to try to help these older folks. There's a poor section of town where they had uh, a lot of homeless elderly, and then also you would see elderly just like living on the porch of a house because they couldn't fit inside the house anymore. They just kind of live on the porch. So we started trying to feed these folks. 
we started what was called a Meals on Heels ministry. Do you have Meals on Wheels up here? It's part of the country. Yeah, I, I have helped with that at different points in life. It's a great ministry. Well, these meals are delivered on foot, so we call it Meals on Heels. Every single weekday, these meals are going down feeding 40, 50 elderly. Well, some of them were in such bad shape that we decided, let's take them in. And we've got 14, maybe 14, 15, one died actually, uh, in a basically a nursing home that we take care of them. T. Frere is one of our residents. So he would tell you the story of how he got to the Grand Moon home. He had a great life, lived in a different part of Haiti, had a wife, a couple of daughters. You know, he was a farmer. Things were great for him. They get older. His daughters, they move out. They move away. And they're in their golden years. Things should be great. Retirement, you know, if that is a thing for him there. And then his wife dies. T. Frere will tell you that he just thought his life was over. And you know how sometimes grief and sadness can just bring a body physically down to the point of death. It, you've seen it. I've seen it. That's where T. Frere was. I don't know how he got to our campus exactly. Uh, you know, he's explained it before. Uh, but when he got to our, our Grand Moon home, he'll tell you that he felt like he was done. He was just ready to die comfortably. Well, that little community started to surround him and decided they were going to try to nurse him back to health. And, and I mean the other Grand Moon, the other 13, 14, 15 that were there at that time. And little by little, he starts to get better. And T. Frere is now what you would consider one of the many lights in that ministry. Everybody loves T. Frere. He's got a bright smile, as you can see. He's one of the cheerleaders of everybody else, and he'll tell you, that coming to the mission, being part of that group, that new community of older folks that had nowhere else to go, it gave him a second life, basically another lease on another new life. None of those things happen without people like you that are sending support and prayers to help the ministry be able to be there for folks like, like T. Frere. I'll teach another word, Haitian Creole. T. Frere means little brother little brother. Oh, he's now the big brother to a lot of other folks as they come into the program. All kinds of people that we're able to minister to and we get to interact with every single day. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, I'll admit, I'm to a point in life and age where uh, you know, I, I just kind of glance at the face in the mirror right before I leave the house. Are you there yet? You know what I'm talking about? Especially men. You know, Maybe when you were younger, you cared where everything was. I don't have much, much to worry about. It's basically cut off what I do have up there. But yeah, when I left the hotel room this morning, I think I looked at my face yet. So I glanced like, all right, we're good. Good enough. But I don't, I'm never going to forget what I look like, right? But you get what James is saying. If you read God's Word and yet don't really pay attention to what it says, it's like looking at your face in the mirror and forgetting what you look like later. So uh, I had an opportunity to do a really fun thing when I was an intern years ago in Haiti. Um, so 
the, the, the St. Louis campus, our main one there, has a church right across the road. Kathy, you'd, you'd remember seeing that. I actually pastored that church for a year. I was an interim pastor. I, I came uh, as an intern with the, the main responsibility of working in our school system. And the day that I got there, the director says, I got this church. That it's a mess. I just really need somebody to kind of take care of it for a while. Uh, you can you know, just preach every Sunday. Here's an interpreter. Go at it. Well, that whole year, I got uh, an immersion course in Haitian church culture. It, it just was, was such a joy. That's actually the first church that I ever pastored. Uh, I can say that, uh, that little Haitian church. I am not a big fan of congregational meetings. Do you guys, do you guys do that here? You guys have like annual? Con- yeah, I mean, every church does. Doesn't mean everybody comes or not. Hopefully yours isn't super long, or if it is, it's long because you like it, you got fun things going on. But honestly, yeah, church meetings, sometimes that stuff's not great. In Haiti, they love that stuff. There's nothing else to do at 8 o'clock at night when it's dark and nobody has electricity. If there's a light on in the church, people come. Because why, you know, why just sit at home and stare at each other in the dark? So these congregational meetings, people just get rolling. They get going. And I'm sitting at this one. Uh, my interpreter, he's kind of, my creel is, is, is pretty good. But there's a point where I just get, my, my mind gets tired. And the interpreter, he just kind of whispered to me the stuff that I needed to hear. And then there's this one point towards the end where one of the elders asks that question that, oh, he says, do you have anything else? Anybody got anything else? Oh, don't ask that, man. Don't ask that. Because there's always something else, right? There's always something else. This lady stands up in the front row and she says, now let me preface this by saying that Haitians are pretty confrontational and open. I mean, they don't care to call out whatever thing about you they don't like, you know, about each other. They're just, it's all out there in the open. This lady says, Pastor, we got a problem. In our church, there is a guy who's walking around town. He's drunk all the time. He's just a blight on the congregation, you know, the community. They know he's from our church. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, this, I just, I'm done. <laughs> it's just, and so I tell my interpreter, I said, tell her, come to, uh, you know, come to the elders some other time. She's like, okay. So he interprets that, and he says, you know, come to the elders, tell them about this isn't the appropriate way to do this, tell them about this guy. And she turns around and points and says, he's right back there. And there's a guy on the back row that stands up, and when I saw him, I'm like, yep, I've seen him stumbling around too, I know. And they're just yelling at each other in the middle of that church congregation. And I'm thinking, one of the elders is going to control this. No, they're not going to control it. They're yelling too, like, yeah, you should. I mean, just, just ridiculous. I'm like, oh. Sometimes we forget ourselves, right? Uh, this guy, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't know him that well. I don't know if he got his life turned around. But at some point, he must have let alcohol make him forget that he is supposed to be the face of Christ in the community, right? You know, it's not our face that we need to worry about. It's taking on the image, the face of Christ that needs to consume our thoughts and minds. And the only way that we can do that is by interacting with the Lord every single day, getting in His Word, speaking with Him, and allowing ourselves to be transformed. One of the joys that that I have in ministering in Haiti when I'm there is watching 
some of the Haitian leaders that we have ministering to their fellow Haitians. I told you that some of the original orphans that came through our program are now our leaders. I mean, there are so many stories of different people that we ministered to. I say we as in, you know, the missionaries, groups that go in like, like Kathy uh, did a, a few times. You know, we minister coming from a place of a lot of benefits. And then we get to see the people that we helped turn around and help their countrymen in Christian love. And I just love so much the stories of that. And I, I just want to brag on a, another young man that I'm proud to say, I guess, is homegrown in a sense. This is Pastor Jacob. So Pastor Jacob, I don't know his exact age, but I'm going to say he's got to be about 30. He grew up in the neighborhood of where our orphanage was originally. Okay, And he grew up in the church that a lot of the orphan kids went to. And he was pastored by the same pastor that all those other kids looked up to. And so Pastor Jacob, not really even part of our programs, was influenced just simply by the presence of the mission and the people that we employed, the people that we empowered, and the people that we were taking care of. And Jacob, as a young boy, he's just kind of watching this and watching how these folks interact and operate. He becomes a youth leader in the church. He then becomes somebody that uh, the pastor was tagging to maybe be a ministry candidate, and eventually he became a fill-in preacher in that congregation. I had never met Jacob before. Like, like I said, he was kind of on the, the fringes, on the sidelines, so to speak, on the edges. But then we needed a pastor in one of our churches, and we've got this guy that I call him our evangelism director. His name's Pastor Sampson. He's a great Haitian guy, mentor to a lot of pastors. I said, hey, Samson, we got to fill the pulpit here at this church. Who can we get? He says, I think I got a guy. And he introduces me to Pastor Jacob. Uh, and I just, you know, I could tell very quickly this guy could be really good. He's only been in that church for a year, and he's already started to transform it. I mean, it's just amazing the things that have been happening. And, you know, they, they were a struggling congregation kind of had a bad ending with their, their former minister that they had. Uh, it just it was a tough deal. And just watching Pastor Jacob and his influence and his calming voice and his calming hand, which I'm sure you, you, know, you guys have felt with, with uh, Leonard here for 17 years, just having somebody like that that everybody can breathe easy knowing is around. And that's what Pastor Jacob is. I just, you know, I see this. And it gives me hope that one day we may not even be needed there anymore. Honestly, that should be the hope of every mission, is you can look around one day and say, I don't think they need us. I think they're okay. We're a long way from that destination. But guys like Pastor Jacob make me believe once again that we can get there. So I'll tell you, tell you another thing about Pastor Jacob. I told you how hard it was to find gas so now imagine all the transportation options are slowing down or even non-existent. Jacob doesn't live close to the church. He's about seven, eight miles away. He doesn't come every day. We don't expect him to, but two or three times a week, he makes the walk through neighborhoods that sometimes are not that easy to get through 
all the way, eight, nine miles, and then he goes back the next day. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you have. I don't know. I, I don't know your experiences. But when you go to work, it's an eight, nine-mile walk, and then you got to get back home. And that's what Jacob's doing two or three times a week, not because of an obligation. I wish I could pay him more. He is not a rich man, but he doesn't do it for the money. He does it because he loves the Lord, and he understands that he is supposed to take on the image of Christ. I'm just proud to say that I get to work with this guy. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So I want to tell you one last story here. This next guy, this guy's name is Pierre. Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say Pierre is my brother. So I met Pierre on my first trip to Haiti in 88 or 89, and uh, he's just two or three years younger than me. He is an orphan in our orphanage program, and like happens so often in Haiti, the orphans aren't that way necessarily because they have no parent. It's because their parent or parents even can't take care of them. Pierre's dad's still living. His mom had passed away years ago. But the dad wasn't able to take care of all the kids he had. So we wound up with Pierre in our orphanage. But my mom had been telling me about Pierre already for two or three years. Our Sunday school class, when I was a little bitty kid, my mom taught the class. We sponsored Pierre as one of the orphans. And when I met him the first time, he was already calling my mom, Mama. He had just latched on to her. Now, she wasn't the only one coming from our church, but she was the one that was spending time with him, and he just started to fall in love with this Blanc lady that come all the way to Haiti and uh, would spend a week or two. Pierre, over the years, you know, he grows and you know, he gets into different things and thinks his life is going to take different directions and turns. And You know, he lived in the capital city of Port-au-Prince for a few years, you know, and he would tell you he had his trials and tribulations. You know, actually got shot one time in a botched robbery. He was the guy that was getting robbed. Finally made his way back to our mission, and we were glad to have him back as an employee. Pierre is now the director of half of our orphanage program. We've got our orphanage split on two different campuses, older kids in St. Louis, younger kids at our Mole St. Nicholas campus. And Pierre is the director of the Mole Campus Orphanage. Just think about the symmetry there. He's one of the kids that came up through our orphanage program, one of the originals. And now he is a papa, a father, to kids whose dads are either gone or forgotten. He is inspiring hope in a new generation of Haitians in a way that I never could. You know, he's able to tell these kids stories of his life, give them advice, give them inspiration, challenge them, even correct them in ways that I never could. And I just am so thrilled to be part of a phase in the mission's history where we get to see the fruits of what God planted so many years ago, sowing seed in other lives. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
So the very last slide there, it's a picture of, uh, if I got there, if I got one more. Um, you know what? I didn't put it in there. I just want to paint a picture in your mind. So, uh, Kathy, when you came to Haiti, did you come up on the bus or did you fly on one of the little planes? Flew on the little plane. I recommend that. <laughs> the bus rides about eight hours on the worst roads you've ever seen. Uh, and the plane rides 45 minutes and it's fun. Maybe a little bumpy, but nothing compared to that bus. So, we have people in normal years come into Haiti all throughout the year. As Kathy and I were reminiscing, back when she came last, I think that year we had about 1,000 people come in on mission trips. And uh, that was a, a high year. But we would have 500 people in a low year. In the last three years, we've had maybe 100 people come. It's just tough. We can't get uh, trips set up because of all the violence and things happening in Haiti. COVID obviously screwed up the whole world, but then we're dealing with constant threats to moving people or supplies or anything by land, and uh, it's just, it's not easy. But what I did have, I had a picture of a group of people getting ready to board the plane the day that they were leaving uh, St. Louis to go back to Port-au-Prince and come back home. These beautiful, smiling faces, and I would love to have each one of you come in and experience it and see it firsthand. I would love that. And if you think you're too old, I can tell you that <laughs> one of our missionaries who tried to retire about five times and yet keeps coming back intends to come back next year, and she's 93 years old. 93. And she can't hardly walk. Yeah. I don't know if you're ever too old. She'd tell you she hasn't gotten there yet. So I'd love to have you come in and see it firsthand. It's just tough to do. But what you can do is you can get involved in so many different ways. Folks, as I've tried to take you through a tour of our program, so to speak, I only touched on some of them. There's so many different things that happen every day uh, on our campuses that, that you know, we need your prayers and help with. And this is a particularly difficult season of our ministry uh, which makes me so thankful for churches like First Christian here in Salem, Ohio, that you guys have been faithful supporters for so long. It's hard for us to get new donors because most of our supporters over the years have come in and seen it firsthand. They go back home and they say, I want to help with that ministry. And then they get other people to, you know, to help with what they got excited about. And it becomes viral and it just snowballs without teams coming in it's had us had have to rethink. Okay, how do you even how do you even get new donors in through the door? So it's been it's been tough. It's been difficult. So I would ask the first thing, if you could join me in prayer, so that Haiti could be changed in ways that none of us could ever do ourselves. It's way above our pay grade. The changes that need to happen. But pray that God can make changes so that we can start to get folks like you in again and facilitate these teams. I've got so many people that would love to come in, medical teams that are just waiting to be able to come in, and yet we, we still, we patiently wait, and we believe that God's going to make that happen again. So ways that you can get involved that are absolutely within your grasp and ability, take one of those brochures. They'll tell you about 
the orphanage program on our two campuses, uh, how to help support the medical ministries that we have, uh, how you can get involved in helping one of these elderly people that live in our facility, or the ones that we feed with the Meals on Heels program. It'll tell you about our newer campus at Mole St. Nicholas with the younger kids uh, that are uh, at that program. So many different things that are going on every single day. And it's only possible because of people like you. And I just thank you so much for this opportunity uh, that you've given me to come today. And I hope that as we leave this place this morning, that we don't forget what God has been teaching us through this wonderful, wonderful passage in James. And we don't be like the one that looks in the mirror and sees their face, and then 10 minutes later they completely forget what they're supposed to look like. It's not your face the world needs to see. It's the face of Jesus Christ himself. And I'm thrilled to be able to say I get to see that face every day in Haitian individuals like Jacob and like Pierre and people that inspire me in ways that, that I just hope that I can put my hand on and grasp even just a little bit and help inspire other people. Father, we thank you so much for today. I just ask that as we end this time together of, of cracking your word open and trying to get some sort of meat from it, I pray, Father, that your spirit will go with those words that, that you've written and that you've said out loud today and that they can change us in all the positive ways that you intend for them to, to happen. I just pray, Father, that you bless all the, the Haitian people today. Lord, uh, let this Sunday be a day of rest from trials and dangers and, and problems that they face every single day. Uh, let them find a meal. Let them find uh, a moment of relaxation. I just pray, Father, for each individual that you have put in our path and told us to help. I just pray, Father, for each one of them and continue, uh, ask that you continue to give us the ability to minister to them in all the ways that they need. Thank you so much for each person here, Lord, and I pray that you give safety um, and inspiration to each individual in this church as they go out into the world and face uh, a culture that's becoming a bit more hostile to the Christian message and the truth. I just pray, Father, that you give them all the tools they need to make an impact in their world. But thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you, Sam, very much. Um, hopefully that, that paints a picture for something that um, we needed to reset in our, own, in our own spiritual mind's eye regarding what's happening in Haiti. And I'd like to ask Patty if she would get ready to come up here and, um, and, and get ready to um, uh, offer your message and song. Um, and as she does that, um, I, I want to keep something in mind here. Youngstown, Ohio, whenever I came here um, in 2005, was the, it was the fifth mo most dangerous town in the United States. And there were pastors who got together before a men's valley in the rally and rally in the valley. And as they prayed, they prayed that God would put um, uh, just his servants in the unseen realm to work and clear that space so that it becomes a space that is not fraught with evil. And it was amazing shortly thereafter things started to really change. 
And I honestly believe that that's what has to happen in Haiti is we have to be united in prayer for things unseen and seen to restore and renew um, the life and the vitality of the people there. So thanks for giving us a glimpse into that layer. And hopefully, as he's challenged us, God can, can move us in whatever way uh, is his will and purpose uh, to get behind you with that. So, um, Patty, would doesn't take very many. It can be just two or three. And I feel that same sweet spirit that I felt of times before. Sure.
for Jack. That's the first song I ever sang when he was here. That was how many years ago? Okay. I thought since I got thrown underneath the bus for being here 17 years, I would do that as well. Thank you, Patty. That was beautiful. Probably in the same time zone right now in another part of the world, just south of here, people are gathering to uh, worship and have prayer and fellowship and most importantly, communion. And I think it's pretty special whenever we gather for communion because we're doing it alongside a whole bunch of people around the planet, celebrating the one thing that we all have in common, and that is the presence of the Lord with us through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And as we gather, we remember him around a loaf and a cup that symbolize his presence bodily, physically, within us, in the form of his spirit, in ways that are mysterious, but yet profound. And you can go, I think you probably had this experience, Sam, you can go anywhere in the world and meet somebody, and it's almost like talking to an old friend, isn't it? And I think a big reason that is, is because the meal that we're getting ready to share is the meal that we weekly remember Jesus through. And he is the source of our identity and the one face that we will never forget. And yet, um, we'll be new and fresh when we see him in perfection. So I'd like for us to just take our, our loaf and our cup and take them together. And um, in that spirit of unity, think about brothers and sisters doing the same under conditions that are far worse than what we ourselves are having to face. And just be thankful and grateful but at the same time, maybe searching to ask, what is our role in supporting our brothers and sisters in that part of the world? Let's take and let's pray. Lord Jesus, in spirit, we come alongside all of those who are oppressed in captivity, living in spaces that are far different than our own. Yet grateful we have the same destiny and the same, the same hope. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us one wherever we are as a body, here or there, or wherever it is that people are gathering in your name. We pray that you would help us to see a vision for your kingdom that goes beyond this world and to support the announcement of that kingdom 
as it goes out into the world and especially as it's facilitated through Northwest Haiti Christian Mission. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for your calling on our lives. Thank you for ways that we can catch a vision for what you're doing in other parts of the world. Help us, Lord, to not only see you in it, but to see you in the meal that we have just taken together. And we are grateful for all good things we have in you. Amen. So if you gotta go or you got kids, feel free. Uh, we're gonna sing one last song together and uh, praise God as, uh, as we leave here. So if you want, go ahead and stand and sing out. Your love has rescued us cross delivered all our hearts from fear our hope is here you came to make a way jesus you came to raise the dead to life our song will
love you. We thank you for this morning and being with us. May we go from this place, keep you first in everything, and show you to everybody that we can. We pray for everybody to be blessed through their week, their works, and their families. Uh, let's just let us come back next week to lift you up again together. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Hope you all have a nice week.